This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us on the Education Exchange. With the appointment of school choice supporter Betsy DeVos as the U.S. Secretary of Education, school vouchers and tax credits are central to today's uh, educational discourse. But few people know the basic facts about vouchers or tax credits. How many voucher programs are there across the United States? What is a tax credit? Uh, what's the impact of school choice on district schools? These and many other questions people have ideas about, but they're usually badly informed. Now, EdChoice, a think tank devoted to informing the public about school vouchers and other school choice interventions, has released a slideshow that sums up much of what is known about school choice, along with a report uh, called the ABCs of School Choice. I have with me today Paul DePerna, the uh, author of this uh, very informative uh, slideshow. He is uh, the Vice President of Research and Innovation at Education Choice. Uh, Paul, it's great to have you with me today on the Ed Education Exchange. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Paul. It's really an honor to be talking with you. Well, Paul, uh, how many private school choice programs are there in the United States? So, so today there are 62 private school choice programs uh, and policies that are operating in 29 states as well as Washington, D.C., uh, and that includes uh, school voucher programs, tax credit scholarship programs, education savings account programs, as well as individual tax credits and deductions that can be used for private schooling expenses. So. Um, and that, roughly, we estimate that about over a million families are participating one way or the other and, and across all of those programs. So are tax credits the most rapidly growing form of uh, private school choice out there? That's a good question. So in recent years, we have seen an uptick in the tax credit scholarship programs that have been enacted or expanded in states. Uh, so, for example, Florida, uh, they've had a long-running uh, uh, tax credit scholarship program that dates all the way back uh, more than 17 years ago. But almost on a regular basis, though, they're expanding that program um, in terms of the funding or the eligibility uh, that, goes, that goes towards that program. And then... Um, and, but we also have seen uh, other uh, types of programs like ESAs uh, have uh, started to be enacted. Arizona was the first state to enact an ESA, an ESA program in 2011. And then other states have followed suit, such as uh, Tennessee, Florida also has its own ESA program, actually the largest in the country, about 10,000 students participating. And then most recently, North Carolina passed an ESA program for students with special needs. So do you feel like, I mean, you know, basically as compared to charter schools, uh, private vouchers, tax credits are still a fairly small part of the landscape, even, you know, even compared to, to other uh, school choice programs. So do you think that this is, they're beginning to pick up speed in terms of the numbers and the number of uh, participants, or, or is it a, sort of a steady growth over the last two decades? That's a really good question. I would say right now we're in a steady growth uh, phase uh, where we did see in 2011 uh, quite a few states enacted new programs and expanded programs. 
and then since and then since then uh, we've we've seen on and it, and it, there's a cyclical nature to this too where uh, in the non-election years that's where we set, we tend to see. Um, more bills being introduced and more traction for school choice legislation uh, in the in the state legislatures making their way through, and so uh, we're and 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 where in election years we we tend to see a downtick in terms of uh, new programs and, and and expanded programs, but you know 2011 we saw eight new programs enacted 2013 we saw nine. Uh, 2015, we saw eight new programs enacted. So in those non-election years, we saw, you know, just shy eight or nine programs uh, being enacted. But then, in the, and then in the um, in the election years, uh, like in 2012, 2014, uh, 2016, you know, we we saw. Uh, Less than five uh, programs uh, being enacted, and the ex- and the expansions were about half of what we would see in a uh, non-election year. And so there, there's definitely in every other year kind of uh, cyclical nature to this. Um, this where, but however, in this last year, uh, we did see quite a few uh, expanded programs. We saw 17 private school choice programs expand, whether in terms of their funding or uh, the eligibility uh, pool for students. Uh, but then we, and we, I mean, then we saw three new programs passed uh, and enacted in um, North Carolina, Illinois, and, um, and, and so forth. So, we, so we, we, we see some steady, you know, cyclical growth. And I kind of, and so I, a seesaw. It sounds like it's a seesaw growth. It goes up in the off years and down when politicians get nervous about the, uh, the upcoming election. Listen, right. I want to ask you yeah. about the uh, latest Wall Street Journal report uh, that came out this week uh, that uh, looked at uh, the impact of the Milwaukee voucher program. That's the oldest voucher program out there. It's been around for a long time. It's also probably the largest, uh, one of the largest, anyhow, in the United States. And so I don't, I don't know quite what that article said, but it seemed to have a critical tone, like the program didn't have much of an impact on, on student learning. What, what's your assessment of that uh, Wall Street Journal report? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's funny that you, brought, that you bring that up, because it definitely uh, stirred up uh, a good bit of discussion here in the office. And um, I think that they used proficiency rates as the as, as what the achievement outcome that they were looking at, and I'm always very leery in in, in some ways of um, looking at proficiency rates and profi- uh, and levels uh, as the key um, dependent variable and and, and outcome. Uh, much rather, you know, would be. My, in my view, scale school, looking at scale scores is uh, more no, ideal. So, so uh, why is per- that? Why do you not uh, think that? Uh, I quite agree with you, but what are your reasons? What's your reasons for saying okay, we should be looking at sort of average scores or something like that, not looking at, not looking at these proficiency rates? Why? Why is it that you, uh, you, uh, find those a dubious measure? I. Th- I th- I think, and this is, um, you know, I'm probably not the best person to articulate this, but I mean, I, I think it can mask a lot of variability or variation that could happen, and uh, within those proficiency categories, and so, um, and so, it seems to me that a, that a more precise measure would probably, you know, would be either uh, scale scores or percentiles, um, and, and that's not to overly criticize. Um, I mean, I, I, my, I, I think that. That article and it actually ended. Uh, it, it did, you know, cite some uh, uh, p- 
positive anecdotes and some of the with some of the benefits for these disadvantaged families in Milwaukee who've been taking advantage of the program. Um, there was uh, one implication, though, uh, that was asserted early on in the article, is that uh, these the schools. Um, that had fewer voucher students tended to perform better than those schools that had a higher, much higher proportion of voucher students, and uh, and I think that's a, I'm not, uh, yeah, that for you know for policymakers or others who might look and take that message uh, that you know, that could lead, you know have um, lead to some less desirable policy features or policy policy designs in terms of like capping the number of voucher students who could be in a school. And I just don't think that the analysis, you know, what, uh, hopefully people will take that kind of uh, uh, conclusion away from that. I think that was almost analysis. an inevitable part of their, uh, given their approach to analyzing the data, that was almost inevitable they would, they would find that because you're going yeah. to get higher proficiency rates where you have a higher percentage of students who are paying their way to go to that school. So mm -hmm. I, I, it just seemed to be an obvious uh, uh, finding. Now, I know you summarize all the literature on, on whether or not uh, students are learning uh, more if they uh, exercise uh, the choice option. And uh, so what is the overall finding that you get from summarizing all that literature? So the, this, uh, this new um, slideshow uh, and th that we had released a couple months ago, uh, it's really a, um, it's something that we've been doing, uh, been, uh, try, trying to keep up with summarizing the research for Audiences, non-academic and non and non-scholarly audiences, um, and and to uh, we work with the Ed Choice. You know, we engage a lot with policymakers and advocates and um, parents, and so we we see it as one of one of our central roles is to be able to distill and summarize the research, uh, in, in a in a way that could be used uh, and and to be informative uh, for those different types of audiences. So, how would you so, summarize, though? How would you summarize your the you looked at all these studies, you brought them all together. What what is the basic finding that you you have with respect to the impact of of choice and on how much kids are learning. So we break we break out the uh, lines of research uh, into in, in, uh, into different uh, lines. So looking at participate effects on participants, participating students in private school choice programs. And I think that most people acknowledge you know that the that the uh, you know at least my my view in the way we. Uh, see the literature. There have been uh, positive impacts on, in most studies uh, for some, uh, at least for some groups of students, but those, but those impacts have been modest, you know, pretty small, uh, significant uh, effects. And um, something that's more promising is another uh, relatively uh, you know, new, new, a newer line of research looking at longer-term outcomes at high school graduation rates, att yeah, attainment-type outcomes, uh, high school graduation rates, college entrance, um, college completion. And, I mean, you, Paul, <laughs> were uh, at, the, at the forefront and a pioneer of this uh, line of research along with Matt Chingos at the Urban Institute. 
um, looking at the New York scholarship uh, students and to and to see what some of those longer term impacts and that seems to be more encouraging for private school choice program uh, effects and so I, I so mean, what is what would you say is the, the reason why you're getting somewhat different effects on the short term and the long term. Maybe you're not seeing so much on, on student achievement, but you're seeing better outcomes in terms of high school graduation, going to college. So what do you think is some of the, how it, you, how is your group looking at that? Well, so we've always tried to take a more holistic view in terms of what, what, what should be, you know, what, what kinds of outcomes should be, we be gauging and assessing, where test scores is, is a you know, necessary part of that um, collection of outcomes uh, to, to uh, gauge effectiveness and, and impact. Um, in terms of, I, I, to be honest, I mean, I, it does say something about it appears there's some sort of disconnect between test scores and their predictiveness for longer term outcomes and I know that Jay Green he um, in some of his work and uh, you know has pointed to some of these disconnects between the short term uh, effects of test score achievement and then looking at those lo- and and and, uh, and the disconnect with those longer term outcomes um, and so I don't you know, it'd be speculative of me of what, why that might be the case, but um, but I think that some of this new research and non non cognitive outcomes led by um, Marty West there at Harvard and as well as Hema Zamaro at University of Arkansas um, that some of you know. Some of the you know, some of the research and what the, and, and what they're looking at could explain and maybe fill in part of the story as to why there could be you know this this not not a very clear linkage between test scores and longer term outcomes and and so it's, as I see it as important and something that we're uh, very interested in here at Ed Choice to to look to follow this new. Um, uh, these new uh, research projects that are coming out look at, looking at non-cognitive uh, outcomes. So let's uh, just switching a bit. Uh, there's a lot of debate about the impact of choice on on public schools. Uh, people say it's it's draining the money uh, from the public schools, and and you have a section of your slideshow on uh, the effect on school finances. What are you finding there? So we see. So in terms of uh, school finances and fiscal impacts, uh, we see that uh, there's all, almost always a net positive uh, fiscal impact for you know depending on the um, program that's being evaluated. And so uh, Marty Lucan, uh, who's our director of fiscal policy and analysis, he he uh, regularly um, analyzes uh, proposals as well as. Uh, takes a look at existing programs and their fiscal impacts at the state, you know, for the state budgets and state level, as, as well as at the local level. And um, and in terms of and in terms of total of, uh, uh, fiscal impacts to the states, they they tend to be very positive. Um, so positive and, in in what respect? Well, I mean, and this is just generally speaking. I mean, where uh, Marty and then even and before him. Prior to him, uh, we had someone who had looked at voucher programs and estimating that for every participating student, there was a, there was an, uh, a per-student 
positive impact of roughly three to four thousand dollars per student uh, for the state as a whole, combining combining local and state impacts. And so they, so they're actually the the students in the public schools have three to four thousand dollars more available for their education. Correct. Right. Right. And 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 ultimately, it's a political decision in terms of what the either local. Um, Local school officials or state legislators and and, and the uh, and state government how they decide to use, what what do they do with those net savings and they could return that to um, the school districts and to have it uh, but uh, that's that, that's yeah ultimately a political decision on what they do with those kinds of net right. savings. Well, one um, of the other big issues that people talk about is the divisiveness of. Uh, uh, vouchers, especially, and going to private schools, and they worry about whether it's undermining democracy and and undermining the common values of our society. Uh, and you summarize some of the research in that area too. Uh, so, what's your overall conclusion in that domain? So, there have been twelve studies that have looked at these uh, civic values uh, outcomes, and where eight have found positive effects, four found no uh, no visible effects due to the private, uh, private school choice program, and then uh, none have found negative effects. And so, I mean, this is another encouraging uh, non-academic outcome, but I think that one uh, that, you know, when we think about the values uh, and, uh, you know, that, that we hold for public education broadly conceived is, you know, for, you know, instilling civic values, citizenship, democratic values. And so, um, and so we, so, that, so that for that line of research, um, it, we have seen uh, positive uh, positive outcomes, and that's encouraging. And we hope that there are more um, more studies that come online in the future in this area too. Well, thank you, uh, Paul, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I've been speaking with uh, Paul DePerna, who's the Vice President of Research and Innovation for EdChoice, and who has. Uh, uh, issued online uh, a very interesting slideshow that summarizes all the available information about uh, what's, uh, wh what we know about uh, private school choice programs across the country. It's a very uh, significant resource that uh, many of you, I'm sure, will uh, make use of. Um, so uh, thank you, Paul, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Paul, very much for having me on your show. And I also would like to, if, if possible, make, make sure to give credit to Marty Lucan and Mike Shaw, who, uh, who contributed and, and led on that for the slideshow that, you, that, we, that we've been discussing. So thank you so much. It's All my right. pleasure. Well, thank you, uh, Paul. This is the Education Exchange. Uh, I'm Paul Peterson. We release our podcast every Monday at noon on Education Next. And... Uh, Today, I've been speaking with Paul DePerna, Vice President of Research and Innovation for uh, EdChoice Ed on the uh, Education Exchange.